0: Everybody. Welcome to the export. I'm Raven X. alongside me is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who just celebrated a birthday. So again, happy birthday to you, my brother. And how was Raw on Monday?
1: It was it was actually good. Um like it wasn't any like major people in action outside of Sami Zayn and Damian Priest. But it was still just like a good show. Um Cody apparently Cody Rhodes did a thing that I thought was all air, but he actually did it during the break. The mm-hmm. break where he came out and hit um and hit Don with a crossroads and just walked out. And the only reason he did it just because he knew people wanted to see him because he is one of the bigger stars, which I thought was dope. So it was a good show. it was good overall.
0: Yeah, because I don't think he was like scheduled to be on the card at all um well that's dope that you had a good time uh did you get to see becky versus zoe Stark in the falls yeah. anywhere yeah i saw
1: that um uh, i saw that i saw i mean i stayed for the
0: whole show dope i'm happy for you i haven't been to, shoot i haven't been to a raw or smackdown in a minute so a little bit jealous but i'm happy that you had a good time i'm sure it was a blast and a half and Speed of wrestling, that's going to be kind of how we're going to start off this uh, show. We're going to kind of run through your Playback 2023 predictions. Mine and Embryo's, a.k.a. Chris Waters' predictions can be found um, in its own little special segment. So be sure to check that out. Uh, We're also going to look through some of the biggest moves to take place over this past week between roster cuts contract extensions trades it's been a very interesting week around the nfl and then of course close out our uh, divisional breakdown looking at the afc and nfc west and then with the nba we're going to talk Giannis's recent comments regarding signing a contract extension with the milwaukee bucks and whether or not the Bucks will get their stuff together, or we are seeing the end of the Greek Freak in Milwaukee. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the I repeat the for exclusive sports content with by yours truly and fellow X-Report writers. Previous episodes were our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, you ready to give your payback predictions? I oh, no. right bet. So starting things off with the United States Championship match, we have Rey Mysterio defending his title against Austin Theory. Both me and Embryo said we think Rey Mysterio is gonna retain.
1: Uh uh,
0: Yeah, I'd be shocked if anything else happened. Uh next up, the Miz versus LA Knight. Again, me and Embryo both clicked LA Knight. LA Knight as well. Okay. Uh Still City Street Fight, which was a bit of a surprise because I'm not gonna lie. I thought it was gonna be Gunther versus uh Chad Gable on the card. But instead, still uh City Street Fight for the Tag Team Championships. We have Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens defending their titles against Damian Priest and Finn Balor. Ethan, who you got?
1: Sammy KO.
0: Same. Uh next up we have the Steel Cage match between Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus. Who you got? Becky. Alright, so far we are what? One, two... Agreed with each other for the first four matches. Uh, Next up, we got the Women's World Championship match. Rhea Ripley defending her title against Raquel Rodriguez. I have Rhea. Same. And then last but certainly not least, we have um, the World Heavyweight Championship match where Seth Rollins will be defending his title against Shinsuke Nakamura. I
1: have Shinsuke
0: Ooh, okay, bet. Look at you being different. All right, and so we have a tiebreaker, even though we won't really need it since you went with Shinsuke. But how many matches in clean? And the best way I can describe it is, because you watch SummerSlam. When I say in clean, I mean there's no distractions or no shenanigans that result in the ending of a match. The perfect example is looking at the tribal uh, combat match between Roman and Jay. What Solo did to Jay, that doesn't count. But what Jimmy Uso did to Jay, which resulted in him getting pinned, that's what I mean by end clean. So those are the shenanigans I'm talking about. So of the what? one, two, three, four, five, six four, five. Six matches on the card, how many matches do you think are going to end clean? Which means, like, nothing affecting the end result.
1: I'm going to say, you said six matches. Mm-hmm. I think all of them for
0: myself for one. i going on to eat play. All right. So we're going five. But, all right, again, payback is tomorrow night. going to be very, very exciting. Can't wait to see how it all shakes out. Now, without further ado, actually, I lied. I know we talked a lot about Bray Wyatt on the special segment and ETH. Embryo and I, like, recounted some of our favorite moments and our thoughts on his passing. But what about you? What would you say was your favorite moment of Bray Wyatt? I know you kind of took a break from wrestling, but from what you saw of him over the past couple of years, was there any moment that really stuck out to you?
1: I mean, to me, just his introduction and, like, the Wyatt family and the feud with the Shield. um, Because, like, at that point, those were the two biggest factions in the whole company and like in my opinion like Bray did a really good job of like storytelling and like introducing them and kind of having this like um this super awesome like bad guy group to go up against the shit cause at the time that was when the Shields were like baby faces like and they had built it up because they were such great kids that people just fell in love with them like always and so then you introduce bray and the wife and and it's like the whole cult leap cult um phenomena figure type of persona that he had i think that was my favorite
0: I dig it. When they were feuding, I think that was 2014, maybe 2015. I don't think I had gotten back into wrestling by then. Um, I got back into it in 2016. And, but I remember instantly being, like, captivated by the Wyatt family. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but my favorite version or my favorite uh, character he created is 10 times out of 10 going to be Swamp leader Bray Wyatt. The Fiend was amazing. I was interested in what he was going to do. Uh, when he came back this past time at uh, SummerSlam, but still, or no, Extreme Rules. I'm sorry, but still, to me, that version of Bray Wyatt is undefeated. Yeah, me too. So. All right, dope. Now let's go ahead, move on to the NFL, and on a much lighter note, let's talk about some extensions and retirement. Start things off with former uh, New York Giants cornerback Prince makamura The former first round pick has announced that he signed a one year deal with the team and will be retiring. Big ups to him. Happy trails. The Dolphins spent some money this offseason, even though they still have yet to pay Christian w- Watson, which is weird. I'm sorry, Christian Wilkins, which is weird. Uh, they paid former, I mean, fellow defensive lineman Zach Sealer, uh, giving him a three year contract extension with 38 worth 38.65 mil that includes. 20 mil guaranteed they also showed out some love to their fullback alec ingold um signing him to a three-year 17.2 million dollar extension Uh, Moving on from that, the Minnesota Vikings helped reshape the tight end market with the extension that they gave TJ Hawkinson yesterday, signing him to a four-year deal worth up to $68.5 million and gives him an annual average of over 17.125 mil a year and 42.5 mil guaranteed, which are both the highest for a tight end. Now, right in front of me, I'm not exactly sure what tight ends have contracts coming up, But I think some of the top guys like a Travis Kelsey, a George Kittle, a Mark Andrews, they've kind of been locked up. So do you think that this deal is going to help kind of reshape the market for tight ends and kind of help raise their overall prices?
1: I think so. Just because you look at it from a standpoint of he's the second highest paid tight end.
0: This about TJ Hawkinson. I mean, when we talked about who we rank our top five tight ends, I still would throw him in there. I mean, I understand what you mean about not cracking a thousand yards, but I mean, how many tight ends consistently crack a thousand yards? Like, most offenses don't necessarily run through their tight ends. So, getting a guy like a Travis Kelsey, that's kind of an anomaly. So, I won't really hold that against him. Um, but, yeah, I do think it's going to create a trend. And I don't know how much longer Travis Kelsey is going to play. But for however long it is, whenever his contract does come up, I think – no, I don't think. I know the Chiefs are going to be willing to make him a Chief for life. And not saying they're going to give him whatever he wants, but he's going to be paid handsomely because he absolutely deserves it. But I'm not going to lie to you. I was kind of thinking that they would hold off on TJ Hawkinson until they took care of Jay Jettas. But – If they're willing to make TJ one of the highest-paid tight ends, there is no other option but to make Justin Jefferson the highest-paid wide receiver, or at least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, as a right now, he
1: definitely deserves to be the highest-paid because it's like, I mean, you look at Devontae Adams, like, yes, he's still at the top of his game, but just in my opinion, Jake Childers is the best wide receiver in the NFL. And he deserves
0: to get paid and such. Yeah, and I mean, more times than not, when we see these contracts come out, it's more so just kind of following the trend, especially like recently with quarterbacks. Um, Like, for example, Jalen Hurts' contract made him the highest paid quarterback. Then uh, Lamar came, he was the highest paid quarterback. And then Justin Herbert got his contract. But we can all agree, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. And so I think that what we're seeing in contracts isn't more so just like the best player gets paid the most. It's just a matter of when did you get your deal and how it comes in relation to somebody else's. But I I still would say that JJ is going to become the highest paid wideout whenever he gets paid. I don't know how long it's going to last, but again, he'd be one of those people who I would say deserved it. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some trades. The Arizona Cardinals got pretty active over this past weekend. First, they shocked many people uh, trading for Josh Dobbs, the backup quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, and then subsequent, subsequently releasing Colt McCoy. So it'll be a very interesting conversation to see who will be their week one starter against the Washington Commanders next week. Uh, they also traded away offensive tackle Josh Jones, sent him to the Houston Texans for in a seventh-round pick. For a fifth round pick, and then probably the trade worth most notable was sending a versatile DB slash linebacker slash wherever he ends up playing, Isaiah Simmons, also former first round pick, to the Giants for just a seventh round pick. Now, when this trade happened, I remember texting you, and I'm like, it kind of pissed me off because like if I want Isaiah Simmons and Madden, it is so crazy hard to get him. But the fact that the Giants were able to do it for just the seventh, it's like, well, dang, if that's all it costs, why didn't more teams try to make this move? Because I think that in the right role and if they just put him in one spot and let him thrive, I think Isaiah Simmons is going to do some damage. Yeah, I think the reason why two years off from of is
1: because they didn't be to like the Vag property. I think some teams might have thought that he would have required more to get just because of, like, the fact that he was a higher a higher draft pick and just his overall versatility. And then I think some teams might have been, like, well, he might deserve, like, a lower overall pick because he hadn't really produced at that point since he's been there. And I think the Giants might have just been the only team that were – willing to, like, pull the
0: trigger. And so, what are you expecting out of Isaiah Simmons? Um, I was watching the preseason game, and they uh, had – kind of went back to an interview that they did with head coach Brian Dayball, and he was saying that when Isaiah Simmons got there, they asked him, what do you do best? What do you enjoy doing? And he said rushing the passer. So I don't know if he's going to necessarily start on the edge, but if we're looking at Simmons as solely a pass rusher, what do you think his potential is, assuming he plays all 17 games?
1: I mean, he could potentially – I could see him potentially being, like, maybe at most a nine, 10, 10 sack guy. I think the thing is, it's like with his versatility, regardless of what they say that he thinks his best, his best attributes. I still think they're gonna move him around the field at different points, and especially if like they get some injuries and they can just slide him into a different position. Um, he'll play multiple positions still, so he might not have like groundbreaking sack numbers.
0: But I mean, hey, if he can get in, uh, what nine, ten sacks, like you mentioned, as a, and you traded a seven for him, I take that any day of the week. And of course, you got to worry about paying him uh, once the year ends. But either way, I think that I think this is a really good move. I think that Wink Martindale, uh, the DC for the Giants, is going to find really creative ways to use him and get the most out of his potential. So I'm excited to see what he does in the Big Blue. So I'm happy for him and for the Cardinals. It's just yet another move that is a head scratcher. But uh, speaking of head scratchers, we get to stay in the NFC West. Um, After it came out, the Trey Lance was going to be third on the depth chart at quarterback. It was not long thereafter before he was traded. He wound up being sent to the Dallas Cowboys in exchange for a fourth round pick, which was a move that was pretty interesting because while there was a market for Trey Lance around the league, the Cowboys were the ones who put forth the best offer. So, We've seen injuries happen plenty of time with Dak and just in general. So do you think that we will see Trey Lance start a game for the Cowboys this season? And If so, how many?
1: I'm going to say no because, I mean, he's still technically third on the depth chart. And I think that, like, I don't think Dak is going to have, like, an amazing year. I think he is going to have. A slightly better year this past than he had this past season, so we like he's going to remain on the field unless he gets hurt.
0: Do you think he's really going to hang as that third quarterback on the roster?
1: Oh, 100 percent no.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I don't think so either. Like, no disrespect to uh Cooper Rush, but I think at some point he's going to be the backup.
1: Yeah, like you made you you made that trade because like the in my. Opinion, Honestly, I think they make the trade because they feel like he could potentially be the successor to that, depending on like how good he does this season, and like if they're depending on it, if they're willing to continue to have him on that roster. So you you don't make that move without just to pick up a third string quarterback at
0: all. Yeah, 100%. And so Jerry Jones was asked about it and how it affects Dak Prescott and upcoming contract negotiations. He's like, it didn't cross my mind, period, about an impact having here regarding Dak. I know Dak wants to do anything he can to help improve this team. We view it as an opportunity that could pay dividends this year and will pay dividends long term. So do you believe that? Do you think that this move really wasn't made with any intentions, like, of hurting Dak or taking away playing time from Dak? I uh-
1: Based on, like, if that doesn't perform, then, like, you could potentially, like, have the guy, like, waiting in the weeds to grow and, like, make him the successor to that. I don't think it's really going to affect anything, like, for this season, or, like, for the, unless that, like, completely implodes, I don't think it's going to have a deal of impact.
0: I think it'll be very interesting because he signed a four year deal and after 2024 he's going to be a free agent and so that'll be very interesting to see how these contract contract negotiations do go because like you said maybe dak does have a bad year maybe injuries kind of hamper his season again what do you do if Trey Lance kind of balls out? Because it's one thing like when uh, Cooper Rush came in and they went, what, 5-0 and to start the season. You're not totally believing that Cooper Rush would be the one to su- supplant Dak as the starting quarterback for the Cowboys. But Trey Lance, a former third overall pick, I mean, he he's has the flashes. There's a reason he was drafted that high. Who knows? That would be a very interesting story and uh we'll figure it. So we'll see how things shape up once the regular season starts. But let's go ahead and turn it on the 49ers side. So um Everybody in the front office from John Lynch to head coach uh, Kyle Shanahan have been pretty candid with regards to their thoughts on this decision and Trey Lance in general. And so it really kind of started off with Kyle Shanahan saying that I always felt like I let Trey down. Do you agree with that statement? Do you think that Kyle Shanahan didn't do enough to help Trey Lance to be successful?
1: I'm going to say yes and the other reason I think I'm saying yes is because I don't think. Kyle Shanahan wanted Trey Lance to begin with. Like going into that draft, everybody talked about how they knew that Kyle Shanahan wanted um Mac Jones, but the organization wanted Trey Lance. And I mean if you look at Brock Purdy, he kinda more he kinda resembles a quarterback that's similar to Mac Jones. Yeah. And he the success that he's having in Kyle Shanahan's system. Because he's the type of guy that Kyle Shanahan like, likes and can grow. So I definitely think he didn't do is look to the best extending his ability to help Trey Lance develop.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really good point that you just made. Can you look at the style of Brock Party? Like, he's not overly athletic. He doesn't have a huge arm. He's just one of those kind of rock steady guys who kind of fit into that mold of, Either they're gonna, at best they're above average, at worst they're slightly below a game manager. And I think that we've already kind of started to see that that's kind of who Mac Jones is in New England. And while that may not work for a team like New England, especially considering they didn't make the playoffs last year and who knows what's gonna happen next. I think that a team with the 49ers who have weapons everywhere, I think that could play dividends and trying to get them opportunities and making life so much easier for their quarterback. But, yeah, I think they kind of let him down, too, um, for much of what you said. Just because, I mean, I feel like he kind of got thrown into the fire a bit. Like, he wasn't one of those guys who you expected, all right, he'll be ready, you know, after a few games, or he'll immediately be able to start. Now, when you hear that Jimmy Garoppolo's hurt, of course you're thinking your number three overall pick is going to be ready to be thrown into the fire. But he was just a guy who was incredibly raw and – I know in the league today, teams aren't sitting two, three years without starting their Quarterbacks, their rookie quarterbacks, especially if they draft him high. And I understand that, but I think that should have been the case with Trey Lance. And like I said, I know it was other mitigating factors that made him come on the field, but I think they kind of rushed him out there, which did him a disservice. And so just last question. I mean, so following this announcement, everybody had an opinion. Ryan Clark on ESPN is definitely not one to hide his. And he said, why are we not letting the San Francisco 40? Why? I'm sorry. Why are we letting the San Francisco 49ers off the hook for what may be the worst trade-up draft pick in the history of football friendly reminder during that draft I believe the 49ers had the 12th overall pick and they traded all the way up to three in exchange they sent three first round picks and a third round pick to the Miami Dolphins who eventually would go on to use those picks on Jalen Waddell Tyreek Hill and Bradley Chubb and then their third round pick on uh Channing Tyndale linebacker who it hasn't exactly worked out but, and then that's just looking at the trade. You look at other players who were drafted shortly there after him. Um, the fourth overall pick was Kyle Pitts. Uh, Jamar Chase was five. Panay Sewell was taken after him. Micah Parsons was taken after him. Pat Sartan, just to name a few. So in your opinion, do you think that trading Lance after less than three years solidifies this is the worst draft day trade of all time?
1: It's hard to say worst draft that trade of all time because it's like, I mean, you can't really, in my opinion, you can never say anything. It's the best or worst of all time because time is like fluid, it's progressive. I will say, like, for what they got, seeing is how what other teams got, Around that pick, or in the case of the Dolphins, like what they got from those from their own um, trade, I can say that the 49 is definitely lost their trade. Um, because again, like you had, like you had Jimmy G, and he was a good, he was a good starting level quarterback. I mean, even still, he was kind of similar to what we talked about with Brock Purdy. He was a type, a Kyle Shanahan type quarterback. And then you could have potentially gotten him another receiver, maybe a tight end, or anything that could have helped improve their offense, or but you go for a quarterback that hasn't panned out. So I definitely feel like they lost the trade.
0: Yeah, I would agree that they lost the trade. I think it is pretty broad to say the worst of all time. I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, obviously, when you play the game of comparison, it looks worse than everybody else because it's like you look at the guys picked in the to close out the top 10 or even going to top 12 where they originally would have been picked and they have all done more than Trey Lance has done. And so in that retrospect, of course, it makes them look bad. But all time, again, I think that's pushing it because we forget there have been some wild de- draft day trades. Like the Saints – What traded all of their picks to get Ricky Williams out of Texas. That's pretty insane. And not to say Ricky Williams wasn't fine, but I think it's I think everybody would agree his best days were when he was with the Dolphins, not the Saints. I
1: would agree with that,
0: yeah. And so just because of that, I'm just Yeah, I'm not exactly buying it in terms of it being the worst of all time because, again, there have been some wild trades. I think you can make an argument. If we're talking recent quarterbacks, I mean, the RG3 trade, Washington giving up so much to get him, that didn't pan out either. He won rookie of the year his first year and was explosive, but after that was a whole bunch of nothing. But kind of oddly enough, that situation was kind of similar because they had also drafted Kirk Cousins that year. And so – Again, like you can make a case for a lot of different trades. I'm not going to bash the 49ers nor trade Lance to be like, oh, this is by far the worst of all time. Because believe me, there have been worse ones. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some injury news. Um, like I said, with the roster coming together, players are being put on pup. Other things are happening at practice. So let's run through a couple of them. Starting off out of Denver, wide receiver Jerry Judy uh, sustained a hamstring injury. And while it is not season and in ending, I'm sorry, uh, he could potentially miss several weeks. His status for week one is to be determined unfortunately the same could not be said for center uh, ryan jensen who is expected to be out the entire season um last year he suffered a knee injury and apparently it hasn't healed enough properly and so not only could this shut down his season but who knows it could pot- possibly be career altering as well depending on his recovery so you hate to hear that and then here are the players Who were put on PUP, which is the physically unable to perform list, which essentially means they're ineligible to miss the they're in in, I can't even talk. They're ineligible to play the first four first four games of the season. And those players are Jonathan Taylor, uh Kyler Murray, Von Miller, Lyle Collins, Eric Stokes. Of those players mentioned, which one do you think is the biggest uh who's gonna be the biggest absence for their respective team? Um
1: And that quarterback and something that helps young quarterbacks is having a strong run game. And so you're losing for well, the first one games using losing a potential not even potential, you're losing a star running back. And so I would go that route.
0: I'm also actually no, I'm gonna go a different way. I'm gonna say Von Miller. Reason I'm going Von Miller is yes the Bills have other pass rush. I'm a big fan of Greg Rousseau. I think AJ Epenesa has potential, and then looking at the interior, of their line Ed Oliver is there. But Von Miller is Von Miller. Even last year, I want to say he led the team in sacks, and he missed a significant amount of action. And I think that we saw it in the um, what's it called. We saw it in the playoffs. They could not stop the run. They were really not able to get much pressure against the Bengals and Joe Burrow. And so what happened? They were getting lit up and while it's only the first month of the season and once he comes back they could kind of rectify that it is a tough blow not having a star pass rusher on the field because in today's day and age if you can't get pressure it's going to be a very long day for your defense even if you do have a good secondary so I think I would lean towards that as the biggest loss. But all right, let's go ahead and finish up our tour of the NFL, breaking down the AFC and NFC West. The AFC West is comprised of the Denver Broncos, Los Angeles Chargers, Las Vegas Raiders, and our reigning Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. So starting things off, who do you believe is the most underrated team?
1: I'm going to say...
0: Respect. I almost put them, but low-key, I'm going to mention them quite a bit, so I'm not going to. I'm going to say the Chargers. I know that they, the way that they lost in a wild card to the Jags is embarrassing, and I know that a lot of people are crapping on them because of that. That is fair. I totally understand it. But also, let's not front like they don't have a lot of talent on this roster. Justin Herbert is not only there, but they locked him up. Uh, Keenan Allen is still there. Mike uh, Williams, Fantasy Darling, Austin Eckler. They just drafted Quentin uh, Johnston out of um, TCU. Defensively, Khalil Mack, Derwin James, Joey Bosa. The list goes on. I think that, like I said, I know how their last season ended, but the on paper they still look really, really good and are going to be competitive. It's just a matter of can they put it together when the games are matter the most. Uh, who do you think is the most overrated team? It's hard. I also have the Chiefs, and this is no knock to the Chiefs. I'm saying this solely from a roster standpoint. They did just win a Super Bowl, but Ella, and let's erase Patrick Mahomes from this. If I had to compare their overall roster to a team like the uh Eagles or the 49ers or the maybe even the Bills or Bengals, I'm not picking the Chiefs.
1: Yeah. If you take quarter if you solely take quarterback out of the the roster that I would want Would be Chargers
0: 1 And probably Broncos 2 I think I'd agree with you there Yeah cause Vegas is And I, I'd have I would still have Kansas City over Vegas But yeah like roster composition Obviously they still make it work Obviously they still have Like they make it work with what they have Even though they don't exactly have the most Name brand players across the board But Still a great team, but I think they are a bit overrated because you're not going to convince me that their team collectively is better than uh, the ones I just mentioned. You're just not going to. All right. Who is your favorite or are some of your favorite players in the division? I I'm just gonna leave it at top two Russell Wilson because obviously my brother-in-law and he has reclaimed his place as my favorite quarterback in the league because the disrespect he has been getting over the past year has been insane and then obviously killer Trav because Travis Kelsey for a long time I called him the coolest white boy in the league and I'm still sticking to that I love me some Travis Kelsey all right who do you think is facing the biggest prove-it year we probably have the same answer yeah, 100%. I want nothing but the best for my brother-in-law. But last year was rough. I'll be the first to admit it. And I think that if he has another year that is that disappointing, regardless of the pieces around him, you can't blame everything on the O-line. You can't blame everything on injuries. You can't blame everything on receivers dropping the ball. At some point, it has to fall on Russ, too. And I don't think that Sean Payton has the attachment to him enough to be like, hey, we're going to let another season of mediocre play ride. I would not be shocked if, if he starts playing like he did last year, I would not be shocked if he got benched. And I hate to say it, but he would. And because of his contract, it would be very, very hard to trade him. But he has to ball out this year. All right, what player do you think is going to break out this season?
1: Yeah. say it's true i want to say justin her even though i know he's been good but i think like he's gonna take like this hope And what i mean by like this home because i mean like actually make the playoffs and like win a playoff game
0: i mean hey that's where you leaning towards i'm going to go with george carloftis We saw some flashes from him last year. I think as a rookie, he had like six sacks. And though they were a very, very quiet six sacks, I mean, he still was a big contributor for this team. And now with Frank Clark gone, I think that's going to create more opportunities for him. He's not going to be a rotational pass rusher. I think he's going to see the field a lot more. And I think that as long as knocking on wood, they can get Chris Jones there. That's going to open up a lot of things for him coming off the edge. All right, uh, what rookie do you think is going to stand out the most in this division?
1: Quentin um, Johnson, um, the receiver for the Chargers.
0: That's fair. I'm going to go in with another receiver. I'm going to say Marvin Mills, the third-round pick for Denver. The reason I'm siding with that is because we kind of talked about it with Jerry Judy. It's no real guarantee how much time he's going to miss. And while they do have talent in the tandem of Judy and Cortland Sutton, it always feels like it is a hard, hard time getting them both on the field consistently. And I think that because of that, that's going to create some opportunities for Marvin Mills to come out and do some damage. And I think that him and uh, Russ can develop a really good rapport and he could end up having a really, really solid rookie year. Um, moving on to what is your bold prediction for the division?
1: My a top two seed in the AFC this year
0: really who do you think takes the top two
1: I'm going to say I think Cincinnati especially if they get like everybody up in their old line and finally performs to what everybody thinks and I'm going to say uh, one of one of the teams in the AFC East, between the Jets um, Bills and maybe Dolphins
0: I ain't gonna lie I'm still iffy on the Jets I'm more so I think I still We talked about this I got Bills winning that division um, But I think the other two Will definitely be buying for a wild card spot But speaking of a wild card spot I'm buying into the Sean Payton hype I mean if I'm trading a first round pick For a head coach They better make it worth my freaking while And I mean Like you mentioned earlier Like collectively I think the Broncos do have an underrated team I think their roster is a lot better than people give them credit for so assuming that Russ is going to be getting it together Javante Williams coming off that ACL he's going to show those flashes he did his rookie year Uh, Jerry Judy Corlin Sutton Marvin Mims those guys have a good year in addition to Greg Dosage and for the love of God they can act like they can block my brother-in-law Matched up with that defense, I think the Broncos can be really good. And I think that they're going to clinch a wild card spot. Don't ask me what seed. I haven't thought that far ahead, but I do think they end up making the playoffs. But with that being said, it's still the Chiefs' division. They're going to win the division. I got that. Who you got winning the division? Sorry.
1: I mean, I got the Chiefs. I just don't... Yeah, I think the Chiefs are winning. I just don't think they're going
0: to be a top seed. That's fair. I mean, it'll be interesting watching an AFC championship for, what, the first time in five, six years that they're not hosting the game. Which is yeah. an insane thing to think about. All right, let's go ahead and move over to the NFC East, which is... I'm sorry, the NFC West, which is comprised of the Seattle Seahawks, Los Angeles Rams, Arizona Cardinals, and San Francisco 49ers. I'm not going to lie. This... The first two questions are a little bit harder on this side, but let's start off with who do you think is the most underrated team?
1: I'm going to say it is hard because in my opinion, for real, my first initial thought is the uh, the Seahawks. But I also could
0: throw a little love in that department to the Rams. I'm going to go with the Rams because I get it. They've lost a lot since the Super Bowl. But let's not forget, they did win a Super Bowl two years ago. And they still have Matthew Stafford, who's expected to be healthy. Cooper Cup is coming back into the fold, again, expected to be healthy. The best defensive player of our generation, Aaron Donald, is still there. And they have a lot of young guys who truthfully don't have anything to lose. And so I think that it's very easy to kind of forget about them and sweep them under the rug as if we weren't calling Sean McVay a top 10 quarterback a couple of years. I mean, a top 10 head coach a couple of years ago. So, because of that, I do think that they are becoming a bit underrated. Now, this was the hardest one for me because, I mean, who's getting talked about besides the 49ers? But who do you think is the most overrated team in the division?
1: Uh.
0: I'll say it like this if I can call the Chiefs overrated I can call the 49ers overrated and quite literally the only reason I'm calling them overrated is because their offensive line is rough I'm gonna run down who is on their O-line right now and this is still just the first 53-man roster they're still over a week before the game starts but this is their O-line as it stands or their O-linemen Aaron Banks, Jake Brindle, Spencer Burford, uh John Feliciano Colton McKitts Jalen Moore Matt Pryor and Nick Zockage you good with that line? you 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 cool with that five yeah so other than that don't get me wrong they have the weapons out the wazoo I think Brock Purdy is going to be pretty solid but that offensive line is rough I know Mike McGlinchey isn't Expected to be like a superstar, Trent Williams. I mean, Trent Williams is amazing, but he's also getting up there in age. I'm just, I think that O line could cause them some problems, but everywhere else, I mean, even in their secondary, like I think they're fine, but uh, I'm a little shaky on that one. Uh, who is or who are your favorite players in the division? Favorite
1: so players. Trent Williams. Who else? Um, that's about
0: it, yeah. Dang, you ain't say OG Bobby? Oh yeah,
1: I, I forgot he back, OG Bobby.
0: Wow. That's crazy. Um, from a former Seahawks fan, I would have thought that would have been the first one. Um, for me, obviously, uh, love me some Jamal Adams. That is my guy. Even I don't care if he never plays another NFL game. He's probably my all-time favorite LSU safety, and thus, he's going to get my love regardless. Um, I love me some Bobby Wagner as well. Tyler Lockett, who I would argue is the most underrated player in the entire league, or at least, at the very least, most underrated wide receiver. Matthew Stafford, love him too. 49ers, anybody? Not really. And then Cardinals, BJ Ogilari, because, you know, lsu man but realistically if i had to undisputed number one it's jamal adams and it's not even close all right who do you think is facing the biggest prove it year
1: i have two and they're both quarterbacks geno smith and Brock Purdy, for different reasons well honestly not even different kind of different reasons but similar to show that they can do it consistently because Geno, we obviously know he has been in the NFL for a good while and he was a, back, a career backup when he started. He didn't really look to be like the guy. Can he prove in another season that like, that wasn't a flash in the pan and that he could potentially be, at least for like maybe another couple of years, he could be a really serviceable quarterback and Brock Purdy just to prove, like, hey, this wasn't a flash in the pan. This wasn't because this team didn't have tape on me. Like, I could consistently be the quarterback of this team and, like, lead this team um, while being the last pick in the draft.
0: Uh, For me, I'm not going to say a quarterback, but I did think about those two. I'm going to say Kyle Shanahan. We hear so much about Kyle Shanahan is an offensive mastermind. He's a terrific coach. He's this and he's that. My brother hasn't won anything, and I know that it's not all about Super Bowls, but the thing is, if you're being talked about as one of the greatest offensive minds, but don't have the hardware to show it for one reason or another, that has to mean something, and obviously, this doesn't say that he's on the hot seat, and this isn't to say, like, oh, he's a terrible coach, because he's not, but I just want to see him do it, like, it was. It seemed like they found lightning in a bottle with Brock Purdy. Like you said, can he do it again, especially behind this offensive line? They have the weapons to do it. They have the talent across the board to do it. I want to see him lead, at the very least, get his team to a Super Bowl. Because I know you we hear Super Bowl or bust, Super Bowl or bust, Super Bowl or bust. But I think for the 49ers, it quite literally is Super Bowl or bust. Anything else this season is a disappointment. Would you agree with that? so I think that in the case of Kyle Shanahan like I said it's not like he's going to get fired or anything but I think if they don't at least make it to the Super Bowl or if they have another bad showing in the NFC Championship again regardless of the circumstances around it I think that's really going to call into question how great of a coach is Kyle Shanahan really but all right what rookie do you think is going to tear up the division this year I like both of those picks. I'm going, you know, I have not given any love to the Cardinals, as neither has anybody else. So I'm going to throw them a bone, and I'm going to say BJ Ojalari, their second-round pick out of LSU, the edge rusher. Um, I mean, when you look at what they had last year, which still wasn't a lot compared to now, it's a completely different uh, defensive front that they're going to be running. And I think that B.J. really showed some flashes, not only as a pass rusher, but a really good run stopper as well during his time in the bayou. And so I think if he can translate that and bring that to um, Arizona, I think that that could really give them a nice piece off of the edge, especially as long as he can stay healthy because it's not like they got much around him. And they're expecting a lot out of Zayvon Collins for him to be able to tear it up on the other side. So we shall see. Uh, who do you think is going to break out this year?
1: Who do I think to break out. Josh Dobbs
0: Define breakout. like what would be a breakout year for Josh Dobbs
1: I think he's just going to like I don't think he's going to show that he's a starting level quarterback but I think he's going to show that he could be a really viable backup for a good team like cause I mean even when he came on last year for the Titans he did really really good like I think he's going to show that he could be a guy that you know the like um, Chase Daniels the career
0: For me, I think I'm going to go with cornerback uh, Kobe Durant for the Rams. He was a guy that I really liked last year, was a mid-round pick, showed some flashes throughout the season and the preseason. But now with Jalen Ramsey gone, the Rams' secondary is very, very young, and they are just begging somebody to come out and be that guy. And I think that Kobe Durant could do it. I mean, he has the size, he has the speed. Um, I think that that's going to really help him go up against some of these bigger and top-end wide receivers in the NFC and just across the league as well. So I think that Kobe Durant is going to have a lot on his plate, but I think he's going to be able to thrive under that pressure and do some really big things. All right, what is your bold prediction for the NFC West? Bold prediction? Um, it's
1: not, I don't think it's that bold. My bold prediction is the Bears and the say. It.
0: He gotta come back first. They gotta pay him first. I know. Which is kinda I wild to me that they I haven't. I'm sorry, what'd you say?
1: I just I think they're gonna get it done before the season starts.
0: I think you have to, because there's no way they're gonna trade him. Like, and I he's the best player on your defense. You gotta pay that man almost whatever he wants. Um, my bold prediction is the Seahawks wind up losing, I mean, wind up winning less than eight games, thus ending the Geno Smith experiment. I have no offense to Geno. I think that he was fine last year, but it's a whole nother year. And I think that like you kind of mentioned with Brock Purdy, teams actually have tape on you now. They're going to be able to actually put you under the fire and see what you can do. And I think that not that Geno's is going to fold. But let's remember, they barely made the playoffs last year. Like, had it been for a different call against the Rams Week 18, I think we'd be looking at the team and Geno in a different light. But still, I think that with Geno, I think he'll be – adequate at best but I think he's going to make some more mistakes than he did last year and for a team like the Seahawks who do have potential and do have some talented guys on the roster I don't know how patient they are going to be with him especially because compared to other quarterbacks he's really making no money and if they get a high enough draft pick I can see them using that on a quarterback and then moving on or at least having him there maybe for a couple games to be the bridge but I think after this year it is over for Geno starting in Seattle but let's go ahead and uh, pick who we think wins the division. I got 49ers by a runaway.
1: Yeah, me
0: too. All right, let's play our game of believable or buffoonery. We just kind of talked about pan Nick Bolson, his holdout in San Francisco. There's another big holdout in the west. But this time the AFC with defensive tackle Chris Jones. Uh reportedly he's been holding out since training camp began and he is accepting a fine of $50,000 each day he remains away from the Chiefs training camp and his fines have already exceeded a million dollars according to the CBA. Those fines cannot be excused by Kansas City. Now if he were to stay away during the regular season, who be forfeiting forfeiting 1.176 mill each week now head coach andy Reid said that earlier this week that there was not really much communication between him and the team so believable or buffoonery chris jones will be traded from the kansas city chiefs yeah i am too they're gonna pay him why would they not like uh i get it you you know everybody knows that the show runs through Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, but Chris Jones is far and away your best defensive player was the best defensive tackle in the league last year. I don't know what the holdup is. Give this man his money. All right, keeping things in the West. <laughs> After it was announced that uh, the Cardinals were releasing Colt McCoy, traded for Josh Dobbs, and there's really no timetable as to the return of Kyler Murray, it has people looking at this roster from top to bottom and admittedly having some doubts. Uh, one tweeter went as far as to say, the Cardinals quarterback death chart is the worst I've ever seen going into week one. So right now their options at quarterback are David Blau, who was there on the roster last year, Josh Dobbs, and uh, Clayton Toon, the rookie out of Houston. So, believe it, Barbara Foonery, the Cardinals, let's just keep it to the league this year, have the worst quarterback room in the league. Yes. Yeah, 100%. I don't think there's anything else that needs to be added. Uh, Let's go ahead and take things to Florida, more specifically Tampa Bay. It came out today from Mike Evans agents that they have informed the Bucks organization that they will discontinue contract negotiations as of September 9th, 2023, aka the day before the Bucks start their seasons. Um, In the statement, they said, we have been working on extending Mike's career with the Bucks for over a year, and we want the fans to know that this is not a tactic and the ball is in the owner's court. That said, we are giving the Bucks until the start of the regular season to make him a buck for life. And if that cannot happen, 100% of Mike's focus will be on football in his future and where he can continue to make an impact. So, believable or buffoonery, After this season, Mike Evans is out of Tampa Bay.
1: I'm going to say believable.
0: I'm going to say believable, too, because we talked about this off-air. But I think they should obviously keep him. He's arguably the best receiver that they've ever had, perennial 1,000-yard guy. But you got another contract coming up in Devin White. And I love Mike Evans, but these days, linebackers are making almost 20 mil a year. And so you have to ask yourself, are you going to pay Devin that or Mike Evans that? I think they're going to lean towards Devin White. All right, last but not least, you mentioned Josh Jacobs is one of your favorite backs. Well, he, I'm sure the people of Las Vegas and Oakland, too, feel the same way. After the two parties had agreed on an extension, uh, he's signing a one-year contract worth up to 12 mil, ending a lengthy holdout. While that's great and that's nice, 12 mil is still not even, I believe, top three in terms of the most annual money a quarterback is making. So, believable or buffoonery, Josh Jacobs' contract extension hurts the running back's case for making more money.
1: I I think so because it's essentially you just settle for, like, you – you still settle for like what the value, what the estimated value of a running back is.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm gonna say believable as well because, again, we weren't in the no- negotiation rooms. Like we don't know exactly how much Josh Jacobs or Saquon or even Jonathan Taylor, for that matter, how much money they want. But I'm looking at it now. Twelve mil would be tied for fourth, and technically, in terms of guarantees. He is fourth, I mean, fifth, I'm sorry, with 11.7 mil. And, I mean, for Joe Blow, for us, I would sign a $12 million contract like that. Wouldn't think anything of it. But I think that now we're kind of starting to see the going rate for running backs, whether it be 12 mil a year or the 11 mil a year that Saquon Barkley got. And so if running backs are going to continue to be willing to take that and call it a day, I think we're not going to see anybody making big money like the Trish McCaffrey's making 16 or Alvin Kamara making 15 anytime soon, which is going to hurt the market a bit for others. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting out with the Charlotte Hornets. They have signed forward P.J. Washington to a three-year $48 million extension, so congratulations to him. And big news, Giannis Antetokounmpo, in an interview uh, recently with the New York Times, was asked about the likelihood of him signing a contract extension with the Milwaukee Bucks and said this, I would not be the best version of myself if I don't know that everybody's on the same page. Everybody's going for a championship. Everybody's going to sacrifice time away from their family like I do. If I don't feel that, I'm not signing. So, what, what does that sound like to you? Do you think that's like, not exactly a threat, but kind of like a challenge to the Bucks, Or do you think he's giving a glimpse like, hey, I'm about to leave? I
1: think it's challenge to be like hey this is what's going on and if it doesn't get met, I'm gone
0: I could see that I mean my thing is how do you define that though you know what I'm saying like how do you define them like putting forth that same effort that you are because he could say that and maybe his teammates are stepping up the coaches are turning the corner but let's say they have another first round exit would that prompt him to want to leave? You know what I'm saying? So, like, I don't know exactly what this means. So, we kind of talked about it when Joel and B, uh talked about his future. It was like, I want to win a championship with Philly or anybody. Like, I think this is more so, like, kind of planting the seeds of, like, possibly wanting to go. And then, so when he does leave or if he does decide to, you know, test the market, it's not, like, a major shock because he was like, hey, I told y'all what was going to happen last year. So that kind of goes into the next question. How do you think the Bucks can show Giannis that they're dedicated to winning another ring?
1: I mean, I think the first thing is, because I know that they re Chris Gugge and Brooke Lopez, but trying to continue to commit to assemb- assembling the best roster around Giannis is, is possible. Like, I know I heard that Kurt, uh, Drew Holiday might be um, thinking about retiring either this season, at at the end of this season or next season. Um, But, like, I think the biggest thing is not getting complacent and trying to continue to have a championship roster, whether it means, like, if you holiday does retire, trying to find another piece that could
0: potentially be serviceable and replace him. That would be interesting because I think they would kind of have to do that via trade because we kind of talk about small market teams, but Milwaukee isn't exactly a place that's drawing in free agents. Most of the guys who have been there have either been there for a long time, got drafted by there, or they were trying to go somewhere to have a bit of a career resurgence, kind of looking at Bobby Portis and just stayed. So, do you think that's the case? Do you think that they would have to trade for a bigger player? And if so, do you think they have the assets to get a move like that done? Because you're not moving Giannis, and you're not moving Chris Middleton.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they do have the assets. And being completely honest in my personal opinion, if they were to try for a bigger name, Chris Middleton would have to go. Because, like, Giannis is a top ten NBA player. If you're going for a guy that. Is on par or close to the par. of honest, is being like let's say a top twenty-five-ish player. Chris Middleton is expendable.
0: Hundred percent.
1: In, in my mind, like like let's say because his name comes up a lot, and I know it it can create more drama. But let's say for whatever reason, Kyrie Irving. The males are tired of Kyrie Irving and they want to trade Kyrie Irving. And the books are interested in Kyrie
0: You make like, that when, trade. Like, ten
1: times out of ten. Yeah, so I would think Chris Middleton would be more would be expendable in any scenario if they were to make the trade to try to improve their roster.
0: I think, okay. In that yeah. regard, absolutely. It's just it's the NBA is so weird. Because I think it just depends who the player is. Because on the one hand, the reason why I don't think you trade Chris Middleton is because you could mess around and have the same problem that you have now. Like you have your two guys, assuming Drew Holiday retires. You have your two guys, but after that, it's just kind of bled guys. Not to mention what you might have to also include in that trade. And so would it be better to have a superstar in Giannis, an above-average guy in Chris Middleton and maybe add another above-average guy but still kind of have the roster kind of where it is now or give up Chris Middleton and then some just to get a star but then the rest of the roster is a bit depleted. Because it's – I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I think you can get
1: serviceable role players around you. I already have a ton already. Like, I know you.
0: I agree and
1: so, with that. And, and so, I think you need another superstar-level talent to pair with Giannis, and you can then have um really like decent role players around them, and that's what that's the formula.
0: I would just be interested to see what that looks like because it seems like in today's NBA, it is so hard to find that balance of having more than one star but also having solid pieces around you. Because one could use like the Lakers, for example. LeBron and AD, and then they have solid depth around them. It took a while to get there, but they have it. But then you get a team like the Suns, who barely have any and have pretty much sold their souls for the three-piece that they have in KD, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker. And they're assuming that those three guys are going to take them to the promised land and hope to God they don't need too much from their bench guys. And you kind of gotta also factor in it's still Milwaukee. Milwaukee isn't exactly a sexy destination. So because you're not exactly playing in a place that people are that excited to be in, you kind of have to overpay guys to want to come as opposed to taking a cheaper deal and going to an LA or a New York or a Miami or things like that. So it'll be interesting to decide ugh, I can't talk, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But let's say for the sake of conversation that Giannis does end up deciding to leave the Bucks. Where do you think he would end up?
1: Uh, I'm going to say maybe Golden State.
0: Oh, gosh. I hope not. Uh, The only way I'd want him in Golden State is I need at least Clay, at least one of Clay. Steph, and Draymond has to be gone. I don't want him just to go there and, like, join the super team, even if they are old by, like, NBA standards. I'm going to say the Spurs, I think that, especially if Coach Pop is, like, determined to stay coaching for a little bit long because he did sign a contract extension a couple months back, I think that he could help really maximize Giannis as he – which is a crazy thing to say because Giannis has already been amazing – and then I think that Giannis, or at least the impression that I've gotten is like, he doesn't seem like one of those guys who needs to be in like a huge market team. And so I think San Antonio will be kind of that perfect mix for him where they care about basketball, but you're not going to get hounded and harassed by paparazzi every time you leave your house. And so I think that that could be a good move for him. And then depending on what happens with Wemby, who knows, but that could be a really interesting front court duo, not to mention the other moves we can expect them to make in their back court. So I think San Antonio... Assuming Coach Pop doesn't go anywhere for a while, I think that that would probably be the destination of choice for me. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of believable or buffoonery. Steph Curry, in a recent interview, was asked on what player or players he thinks will carry the torch of the NBA, and he mentioned Luca is the guy. He added, "That's right on the he's like that's right on the precipice of accomplishing all those accolades when you play against him." You can feel it. So believable or buffoonery, Luka Dunchik is the next face of the NBA. is marketability if because the m that's really what the nba is all about like you got to do a whole bunch of commercials you got to do a lot of endorsements things like that and not to say that Luca's not doing endorsements but would he even want to be the face of the nba just in terms of like doing all that those media appearances and then add on top of how much winning you do yeah i would agree with that Uh, Moving on to a team that has been so close to winning, but just have not been able to get it done. And that is the Boston Celtics led by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Both of those brothers are handsomely paid. However, Uh, Patrick Beverly on his podcast mentioned he doesn't know if they can win a championship together he said too much of the same player they don't compliment each other enough so believable or buffoonery Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's similar style of play will stop them from winning a ring. yeah i think you kind of hit it on the head so i would just leave it at believable Uh, Keeping things in the Western Conference, Ben Simmons, a guy who a lot of people had high expectations for and just never really hit them, expects this upcoming season to be a big one for him. Um, Not only is he making the switch to playing point guard, but also he mentioned that his goal is to dominate players next season. He said, for me, uh, to come back and dominate people will be great. I don't intend to come back the same player I was last season because that's not even close to where I am. So, Believable or buffoonery? Ben Simmons is going to dominate the league this season. I'm going to say buffoonery because
1: I'm sorry, I just can't. I'm not about to fall victim to the offseason Ben Simmons hype. Yeah, like when he was in Philly, people fell for it because he was shooting jumpers in big games. When he like this past offseason he was supposed to work out videos and kind of the same even this season like now he's showing workout to game footage where he's dominating like i'm not going to believe until i see it in the nba
0: agreed and also i think it's going to be different because not to say you can't dominate if you're not your team's guy But I think the Nets have moved past wanting him to be the main guy. Everybody knows that's Michael Bridges. And so I think that he will have a better season, and I think that he will – I think that the move to point guard will be a better overall one for him. But dominate? Nah, I can't get behind that. Uh, But last, but certainly not least, we kind of talked about some domination in the past with regards to Anthony Edwards and his success that he has had with the Minnesota Timberwolves. However, former teammate Patrick Beverly is just not sold that he is going to stay there for the rest of his career. He said he will get out of Minnesota. I mean, that's just what happens. And that's no disrespect to Minnesota. It's just with that personality, he can change the world with basketball. So, believable or buffoonery, it is an inevitability that Anthony Edwards will leave Minnesota.
1: I'm going
0: Yeah, we're in agreement. Mine is just more so just based off it being a – in today's NBA, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't expect anybody to stay with one team anymore. It just doesn't happen. And so while I think that he can do some great things in in Minnesota, like you say, if he can get in a bigger market and like really be that star and get more prime time games and just show everybody how cold he actually is, he's going to do some damage. And so, again, hate it for Minnesota just because – the days of, I think, player loyalty to teams or whatever you want to call it, I think those days are over. And so I think it's just a matter of time before he moves on and is doing, is really, really lighting the league up and potentially becoming the face of the league that you and I both don't necessarily think that Luka is going to become. But alright, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out the XReport.net. our repeat the for exclusive sports content written by yours, truly, and fellow XReport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The XReport. So, Ethan, anything you want to say before we get up out of here? First weekend, well, official weekend of college football starting back up. NFL starts next week. It's a beautiful, it's my, it's the most wonderful time of the year, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: Norvell on South Sunday. Every other day we can be cool. I mean, but you're an
1: LSU fan, so you can say that. Like, I'm a Memphis fan, so I'm gonna rock for my former
0: coach. No, nah, no. Nah. Why don't you look at it like how, for example, look at it how Coach Prime and, you know, some of the Tennessee State fans, he left you. I mean, not Tennessee say Jackson State fans, he left you. He moved on to bigger pastures. He thought he was better than Memphis. He's not. Just tell yourself that. It's fine. I get it. Honestly, I like Florida State, just, again, not on Sunday because they're playing my team, which is the LSU Tigers, and I can't wait to see what Harold Landry – I mean, not Harold Landry, sorry. That's a Tennessee Titans player. I can't wait to see what Harold Perkins does, was arguably the most explosive defensive rookie in the uh, country last year. Only going to get better as time goes on. Same with Jay Daniels. So, obviously, go Tigers, the real ones. No disrespect to Memphis because, obviously, go Tigers, go. Uh, if we lose to Bethune Kickman or don't beat them by over 30 points, Ryan Silverfield, my brother, we going to have to talk. Um, Colts content. Please be sure to check me out. I put out an article today that I'm really proud of for any Ohio State fans or Colts fans or Taekwondo Lewis fans. Please check that out. Um, Next week, I got a lot of interesting stuff I'm doing before the season. So hopefully I'll continue to support because I greatly appreciate that. Um, Payback predictions. Like I said, Ethan gave his uh, embryo. And I had a special segment of it earlier this week. Again, pray tribute to Bray Wyatt and Terry Fox. So check that out if you do not mind. And a fantasy football guide will be coming out shortly as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. Greatly appreciate you. And we will see you all next time.